Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Yo, yo, yo. What up, everybody? Welcome back to Beyond the Brand Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Pabuda. I'll be joined today by our usual co host, Alex Boudreaux. It's been a rough one. It's been a rough weekend for the boys. I can't lie to you. Alex got his wisdom teeth pulled out uh, early Friday morning. Been on painkillers and TikTok the entire weekend trying to get himself back to sanity, back to back to order for you guys so he could be back uh, at his A1 game next week. And as for myself, I spent the last four days in Scottsdale, Arizona, celebrating the bachelor party of a good friend of mine from college. We hit it pretty damn hard. So I myself am trying to pull myself together here. Uh, the probably the next seven days is going to be all about hydration, you know, getting my body back, getting the temple back to being right. And, um, yeah, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to recruit from this and, uh, uh, hopefully we'll be back with our A1 game for you guys next week. But in the meantime, we do have a great episode for you guys tonight. Uh, Mike Marino based out of Jersey city, New Jersey, originally came to prominence down the Jersey shore stand-up comedian. Some of you guys know him as a the, one of the latest presidential candidates as he is on his quest to make America Italian again. Mike is an old-school Italian guy who used to party down the Jersey Shore. All those, all those spots down there, he used to keep a camera crew with him at all times, and he's looking to come out with a series today about what the Jersey Shore was like in the 80s based off the footage and things that he has. And he's going to get into all that. He's going to get into just a bunch of different bullshit. And, and uh, you know, Mike is a great guy. He had his piss in our pants the entire time we were talking to him. And I'm sure this is going to be a good episode for you guys. So, uh, Bruce, take it away. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time! Recording out of New York City, New York. Welcome to the Disputed greatest podcast in the world beyond the brand. Just kind of run us through, uh, as you mentioned, you just mentioned you, you know, you were born and raised in, in Jersey City. You know, t- take us through uh, growing up here, uh, what that was like, where you kind of started your comedy career, and then, you know, take us through it all. Well, I was born in Jersey City, New Jersey. We were in the Marion section back in the day. And most of my family members, including my mother, are from Italy. And uh, I guess, you know, when you're growing up in a small Italian neighborhood like Marion section, Jersey City, you think everybody's Italian. You think everybody's from Italy. You don't even realize that there's something going on around the corner. Such an old school neighborhood where you can actually go trick or treating in your building and get enough candy to last a lifetime because that's the neighborhood. That's the way it was. And what did you do when you were a kid? You hung out on the stoop and that was like the greatest place to be because anything that anything that happened was so cool was the stoop, which was right outside. And uh, when I was growing up there and everybody went to Catholic school, which you walked to that frame of mind growing up, started the ball rolling into a stand-up routine when I got to the age where I actually knew what stand-up was, which was in my teens. I actually started as an actor. I never really wanted to be a comedian. When I was about 14 years old, I was in the Screen Actors Guild. I grew up doing TV commercials in New York because, you know, being from Jersey City, you're right there by Manhattan. 
and, you know, the big city. So I would go into the city. I'd go on commercial auditions. And back in the day when I was a teenager, I had thick blonde hair and blue eyes, which is the opposite of what America thinks an Italian guy should look like. And since I looked like that, I was a shoo-in to get candy commercials, potato chip commercials, uh, when Reeboks first came out, and RB sandwiches. And I started making money that way as a commercial actor. Mm-hmm. And then when I got into my uh, 20s, late 20s, that's when I started doing stand-up because I came to Los Angeles. I was on a soap opera for a while, and I came to Los Angeles thinking, let me see what it's like to get into the movies, see what it's like to get on television. And I was never getting the wise guy roles because I looked like the Irish cop. So I made that a joke. And I started to talk about that I never got, let's say, a certain type of respect as an actor to be an Italian type character because I look like I'm from the beach. But my parents really are from Italy. And they're from the north of Italy, where there's a lot of blonde, blue-eyed Italians. So I developed that into a stand-up routine saying, I always wanted to be a wise guy in wise guy movies, but I'm always the Irish cop that gets whacked in the first 30 seconds. (laughs) And that stuck. And people started looking at me like, wow, he sounds like he's from New Jersey, but he looks like he's from Malibu. So I started playing that. And before you know it, I was getting roles on sitcoms. I was getting roles in movies. I started making friendships with some big movie stars. Then I started touring the country with Andrew Dice Clay. And I met all these big names in the business. So I kept on going and going and going until I became a nationally known entertainer by saying we should have an Italian president running the country, especially if he's from New Jersey. He'd whack a couple people and everything would be solved. And it stuck went viral on the internet and away you go. And I also have this uh, great routine about my real life with my mom because we grew up in the basement. I didn't even know there was an upstairs. We were in the basement. That's where we ate. Upstairs was for the different people, the better people. Downstairs was for us Italians. And that's where my mother made the gravy and the meatballs and the sauce. And then would say the same thing. I ain't doing it no more. I'm too old. I've had it. I'm not cooking. You kids don't respect your mother. And I came up with a routine saying that my mother said it so long that I think uh, the Last Supper was created by Jesus's mom because she said, look, Get your friend Leonardo da Vinci to paint a picture of all the apostles eating because this is the last supper. I've had it. I'm not doing it no more. (laughs) And for 40 days and 40 nights, they fasted because their mother wouldn't cook. But Talisa came and then she cooked. And that's why Christ rose again from the dead. He smelt the sauce and the meatballs. Jesus is Italian. (laughs) That's that's, that's the way this all started. (laughs) Yeah, I wanted to ask because your podcast is called Live from Your Mother's Basement. Yeah. I wanted to hear that, sir. A couple of years ago, I started uh, doing the Facebook Live, live from my mother's basement, because I actually own the house in Scotch Plains that my mother and father bought 50 years ago. So I own that now. And all the memorabilia from my mother, my grandmother, and my great-grandmother still in the house. So I got, like, great-grandma's refrigerator, and it works. And I stacked it up with beer. And I got the antique tables, and people think I just got some Art Deco, but it's not. It's actually from their life. 
So I recreated it. I put it in the basement. I created the show live from my mother's basement. I got a boatload of sponsors at Locatelli Cheese, and I had uh, this guy's pizza place, Regina's Pizza, and and they did massive advertising so that when I would go out on tour, you know, a lot of the advertisers would have some tickets to shows and and sponsoring and and all this kind of wonderful stuff that you hope is going to happen to you happen just by being, let's say, an average blue collar guy from New Jersey. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's awesome. So, uh, yeah, now when you, so the way I came across your content a few years ago was the presidential stuff. And that's what, because I'm Italian, I have a lot of Italian friends and they said, they sent it to me and I was like, I was like, man, this guy's a riot. Like, and it was like, it was like a big thing in Jersey. Like, like, I, I mean, obviously you're, you're known nationally, but I, that was the first time I experienced it. I realized how many people knew who you were. Um, thank God. I yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, so, it's good. And honestly, the favorite one of me, I just showed him before we had you on was, uh, the Osama bin Laden one. You're on some talk show. That shit was fucking hilarious. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I didn't know we could curse on your show. Oh yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Do your thing. Yeah. Um, but I, I developed, I developed a joke about the F bomb and I developed it when I came to California a long time ago. And I would say to the people here, you know, I'm from New Jersey. I didn't even know fuck was a dirty word until I moved to California. <laughs> I thought it was like the word the. You just say it all the time. Yeah. Then I got to California. People were like, wow, you Jersey people curse so much. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? I didn't say shit. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So you mentioned that you started meeting all these big people. So what, what was like your first big break into stand-up comedy? Because you mentioned you acted as well. But what was the first big break for you? Stand-up comedy was was it was it touring with uh, Andrew Dice Clay? I think so. Yeah. I think that was a big break for me. You know, back in the day, I'm doing stand-up 25 years. So back in the day, when you started doing stand-up, the Comedy Store here in Los Angeles and the Laugh Factory and these mega famous clubs, there was no such thing as social media. You were giving out flyers on the street, begging people to come watch the show. So to get discovered was brutal. You had to be on The Tonight Show. Now, I was on The Tonight Show doing sketch comedy. I was on The Martin Short Show, and I did a bunch of these stand-up shows, but it didn't have the power of, let's say, social media today. That's why sometimes you see these comedians you never heard of, and they get millions of views because of social media worldwide, whereas comedians like myself back in the day, you had to try your best to be on one of the big talk shows, and away you would go. Right. So when I went on Byron Allen's Comics Unleashed, I actually had no idea the impact that was yet to come. I thought I was going to make 500 bucks, tell a joke, and go to, the, go to the club. So I go down to the show, and a friend of mine was the casting director, and he was new, and he said to me, he goes, Marino, you got to hit a home run for me, man. I'm counting on you. Do something great. So I'm like, you know what? I've been developing this thing about if I was the president, what I would do. Let me give it a shot. So when I stood up on the show and I pretended I was putting out a cigarette, I was impersonating my father. My dad talks like that. Yeah. And I had no idea, but I think it was like a month, two months. There was like two million, three million, four million. It was going crazy. I got offered a development deal at Byron Allen's club. We were supposedly going to do a TV series. And by today, that thing's over 15 million views and it keeps on going. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, once it goes viral, you know, it just, it just keeps going. That's the thing. But, um, 
So, so what inspired you to get into acting and kind of walk us through the experience that you had at HB studio? Cause we talked to a few actors and they, went they, kind, they, they kind of inspired us to, you know, give it a shot. Give it a shot. <laughs> <laughs> Was that right? Yeah. yeah. Well, nowadays you don't know what's going to be the next big thing because we have this type of uh, status. You have social media. Back in the day when I wanted to be an actor, I was probably three to four years old. That's all I ever wanted to do. I used to go to kindergarten and first, second grade. I actually was writing the plays when I was a kid. I'm like, I want. I was a big fan of the Bowery Boys. You guys remember the Bowery Boys, East Side Comedy. I want to, always wanted to be a tough guy. I would always impersonate people doing commercials. So when I was about 13, 14, I took an acting class in New Jersey. And then when I was 16, one of the high school teachers took me to Herbert Berghoff Studios when I was probably 16 years old because I just got my driver's license. And I had a famous teacher. His name was Bill Hickey. And he was in a lot of movies in that time. And uh, really, really intense, tense training you know, uh, they teach you really how to do Broadway plays, you know, without singing. Then I went to the American Academy. And when I was in the American Academy, I was probably 17, 18. When I was 18 years old, I did a commercial for United Airlines. And that was my first really big hit as an actor because I didn't even see that coming. I auditioned for this commercial. It was a Marine coming home from boot camp on United Airlines. They shaved my entire head made me look like a Marine, and it hit. It was so sentimental and so endearing that wherever I went, people were hugging me on the street. And I'm like, look, I'm an actor. I'm really not in the Marine Corps. And I remember I got nominated for a Clio, Best Male Performer in a Television Commercial. And I lost to the Dr. Pepper commercials. We're talking 1983. But I was one of the top five commercial actors in New York City. I signed with the biggest agent in New York. That commercial ran for five years. Now, you're handing an 18-year-old kid $40,000 a year for something he did in one day. So I'm like, wow, this is easy. Yeah. But then it's not easy because then you grow up, your face changes, and that's not going to happen anymore. If you guys look up on YouTube, the United Airlines commercial, you're going to see it. You'd be like, he wasn't kidding. Holy shit. <laughs> and it's so different from my my appearance as a comedian because, yeah. you know, it's just an apple pie kid. Yeah. That's crazy. And how did it out? How did that affect like your your personal life? Like we've had uh, like I'm sure you're familiar with Lilo Brancato um, from Bronxdale. We had him on the show. Uh, and he obviously got into drugs and party stuff. Did it affect you? Did it ever get to your head? He said it kind of like the money and the fame early on got really got to his head. Did that ever get to you? He said you were so young and you're just, and you're just handed $40,000 a year just for one thing. It's like something like that can get to someone's head. Did that affect you at all? It can get in your head. And I know a lot of child stars today that are miserable and they can't get that rhythm back because yeah, too much too soon will jack you up. I know a lot of comedians on the scene right now. They got an attitude because they're doing it two years. They hit big numbers. But I would feel like telling to them, man, calm yourself down. All you did was cut in line. You're going to get screwed. 
watch what you're doing because I'm doing this really since I'm a kid. I've always made my money in the entertainment business. You got to be very gracious because this is like playing the lottery. Yeah. One, on a Monday, you won. On a Friday, you lose. You got to be really, really careful. Stay true to yourself. I grew up with a really like a lot of guys who became superstars and you don't even know their name now. They can't even get arrested. They're all working at other different places. It's funny you bring up this gentleman's name. Now, I never met him, but lately, because I've been touring with a, with a tour called Make America Italian Again, I've been asked to perform at Sopranos Con, uh, Mob Movie Con. Uh, I'm friends with Vinnie Pastore. I'm friends with Robert Dobby, Joe Montaigne, all these guys that have done those type of movies, but because I'm a comedian... And I've never been in the movies with them, but slowly but surely that's happening. So I bet you eventually I'm going to meet that guy. I always wanted to meet him. I just did a project with the other guy that was in a Bronx tale, Joe D'Onofrio. Mm-hmm. And we did a show called um, Silent Partners, which I think is coming out May 2nd or May 3rd on the Internet. And you can actually watch it. Mm-hmm. So you got to say to guys like that, or I would have. Be careful. Save your pennies. Remember when your mother said to you, there could be a rainy day. Save some money. Look at the rainy day we're going through now. I'm lucky, man. I have a place here in L.A. I have a place in New Jersey and I have a pretty sizable nest egg. And hopefully when this shit's over, I go back out on tour and really take off even higher. Because, of course, my goal is Madison Square Garden. Yeah. My numbers are getting close enough to do something like that. But when I was a kid, to answer that question, I came from a very strict Italian family. And my mother always said, put your money away. And I did. So when I was 20 years old, I bought a beach house in Belmar. We had 11 bedrooms. Wow. Now, that house is worth millions of dollars now. I don't own it anymore. But I did film everything we did for 15 years. Wow. So now I'm coming out with a documentary about the beach in the 80s and 90s. You're like and nobody has that footage but me. That's so great. You're like the original Jersey Shore. Like Wait the- till you see this. You are going to flip out. <laughs> flip out. Love it. The music, the sneakers, the colors, what we did, what we said. No cell phone, no fax machine, 22 bars in a one-mile square radius. That was fun. Wow. And I got it on tape. So two point two points here to your first point, um, Lilo. I, I mean, he's actually going to be in one of the first episodes we drop. I'd be happy to connect you guys yeah, as well. Um, but yeah, he, he's an awesome dude. I think you should definitely, uh, if you can, do some work with him. He's he's getting back into acting and everything. He's got his life together. So uh, he was a really really interesting interview. It was, it was awesome to do with him. But I'd be happy to connect with you guys uh, after this. But secondly. My cousin and generations before, my parents, right, they had houses down the shore. They're from Elizabeth, New Jersey. They, they moved down the shore. I mean, they would go get the shore house and stuff. They always said, we could have recorded this and did what they did. But you, you actually did it. You recorded it before the Jersey Shore. That's, that's, that's genius. <laughs> so you were, hitting, you were hitting DJs, bar, all that stuff down there? Montego Bay, King Largo, <laughs> clubs you never even heard of, brother. That is awesome. When when is this coming up? Check this out. My brothers and I, and and, and Belmar was the place to be. Seaside was a trash. Belmar was the place to be. Still is. Had bars everywhere. You couldn't walk out of your house without bumping into a drunk person, and it was fun. Nobody got hurt. 
And uh, they were only open for three months. That's it. So once that door closed, yep. season's over. Yep. See, that, that's what I... Go ahead, go ahead. Well, what everybody was doing in that time is they would create a beach house. Joe Blow's house, Frankie's house, the Huda house, that house, the farmhouse. Well, we were called the Shore House. S-U-R-E, the Shore House. And for 15 years, we had a great crew of guys and girls, and we took over that town. And we used to hang out at Montego Bay. And Montego Bay, from 83 to like 88, was like Studio 54. Everybody went there. And you're talking 3 o'clock in the afternoon, guidos, clam diggers, people from Canada. It was out of control. And quite honestly, the ugliest guy could go in there and come out with a hot-looking chick. It was just great. But because I was on television, I used to get to go in there with my camera, the big camera, right? And they allowed me to film. So I'm one of the only guys who has footage of the interior. And then I videotaped what me and my friends did. Wow. So, yeah, you're going to see a reality show that was created in 1985. That is Commentated, detailed. I showed it to the girl who created the Jersey Shore. She just looked at me and goes, you're a genius, you motherfucker. <laughs> That's incredible. Surprise. Holy That's shit. incredible. I'm actually, when is that coming out? I'm excited for that. Well, we're hoping we're going to go into production with this project because I created the, uh, the pitch and we created my team of guys, my director, my producer, and my other producer. We put this thing together now to go get, like, let's say a certain amount of money because... Although this project could be done very inexpensively because it was shot already, we got to go get the actual characters to talk about their lives back in the day. And the rights to the music is where the money really comes from. Because, we, you know, you want Madonna, you want Oingo Boingo, you want In Excess, you want Dead or Alive, you want the, the crew from the 80s yeah. to get their music, you know what I mean? Do you know what's crazy about that? It's like, so when we go, when we go to DJs, right? When we go there on like happy hour on Sundays, they play those old songs. And I was always, cause me and him love that shit. So we look at each other we're like, yo, can you imagine living in the era? Like when this was playing regularly at the clubs and shit? I feel like we would have thrived. I would have thrived in the eighties. I feel like, I feel like I was, I was born in the wrong, wrong generation. <laughs> it was, it was such a happy time, man. Happy time. You had to wait to get home to find out if you had a message from somebody. And the craziest thing about me is I collect memorabilia. So all the memorabilia from the 80s, I still have. I have my bathing suit, my dance shoes, my capizios, my parachute pants. You know, I got it. So I think this this could be a smash for everybody around the world. You know what would be incredible if you guys did that? If you guys put that out and then you did like a reunion show, like now 20, 30 years later and it's all you guys and you have the memorabilia and shit and you try and put it back on. That'd be <laughs> fucking hilarious. Uh, yeah. It don't fit. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, it's one of the greatest things. And I, um, it, some of the footage got leaked on YouTube a couple years ago and a radio station found it and said, here's what Montego Bay looked like in 1986. And I got thousands of phone calls because everybody's like, is that you? And I'm like, yep, it's me, my two brothers and all my friends dancing. And we look retarded because we go, <laughs> boing, boing. you know, I'm like 120 pounds. But people were going crazy. Got like two million views. Wow. Jeez. That's awesome. I got to check that out. Yeah, I can't wait for that. But um, I am. Yeah, well, where, where do we even go from there? Yeah, I'm fucking hyped <laughs> for that. You got me all fired up. But because um, we're. 
we're gonna miss all of summer and we we were looking yeah. to get a shore house yeah well, you know, you never know what's going to happen. They're saying they're going to open up stuff here in California um, this weekend. Uh, they said that May 17, they're going to start letting people go back to some things. Um, I mean, my shows were all canceled until July, but hopefully in July they'll start up again. Mm-hmm. I was supposed to do the Count Basie in Red Bank yeah. Memorial Day weekend which I did last year, 1,400 screaming fans. And I can't believe I can't go there again because yeah. I know I would have sold that shit out. Yeah. But yeah. now we got to do it in September when the, when the summer comes to a close. Usually every year I do the Paramount and Asbury Park. It's like my uh, home theater, let's say. Yeah. But uh, let's hope the summer opens up because it's going to hurt a lot of people down on the Jersey Shore for sure. Oh, yeah, in the Hobo- Hoboken Festival, you do that too, right? I did, yeah. How do you know about that? Yeah, good old research. Good old research on it. <laughs> that was a couple years ago. That was a lot of fun. A lot of rappers. I'm like, what am I doing here? I don't rap. <laughs> I told them I'm the Italian rapper. Ice pick. <laughs> Guinea tea. <laughs> so what, what are you doing now to stay busy since all your shows are canceled through May? And- Losing my mind. <laughs> You know, I have a studio. Uh, I do my podcast. I talk to guys like you. I'll go on a couple of talk shows. Um, I have thousands of comedian friends. We kind of talk to each other to help get through it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, quite honestly, it sucks. Yeah. It sucks. That's our therapy. Mm-hmm. You can't go to work. You can't complain. You can't tell new jokes, write new jokes, do a classic joke. I mean, I had such great new stuff. The um, a president joke came from my album that was called um, Jersey Born and Raised. The new jokes that I'm doing with Make America Italian Again, I think are a lot stronger, a lot crazier. I'm still doing stuff about if I run for president. I do have a web series, Make America Italian Again, which I think is hilarious. It's all about me and a bunch of knuckleheads running for president. Uh, we're going to do it again. Uh, this time will be a, a whole new pilot, but I had no idea this was going to happen in the world. So then what do you got to do? You got to backpedal. You know, my director can't come over. He'd have to wear a mask and goggles and all of that stupid shit. <laughs> so what do you do? You got to kind of do engineering. I sell merchandise, you know, make America Italian again, sweatshirts and pants and socks. I'll probably come out with a mask. <laughs> Yeah, now the same thing, same thing coming to us too, because we we were recording in a studio and then all this happened, and then we were like, well, we're not just going to stop making episodes. We want to stockpile episodes before we start releasing so we can release one a week. So I was like, we're not going to stop. So now we just made a makeshift. We bought two mics and did a makeshift studio in our living room. So you should make a badass Italian face mask. That'd be awesome. Well, I did. You want to see one? Yeah. Yeah. Hold on one second. These are Make America Italian Again panties. <laughs> says, get the bat on the ass. It MikeMarino.net. And then on the front, by the crotch, it says Make America Italian Again. <laughs> now, I sell the panties after shows and on the Internet. But since this pandemic happened, I just said, hey, here you go. Yeah. Here you go. 
Oh, I went to the bank the other day and said, "Put everything in the bag." <laughs> <laughs> you should make right a now, the PJs. You should make the a bat- and throw those off the stage at people. <laughs> oh, I do crazy shit with the with the, the underwear. They come in this color. Yeah. They come in this color. <laughs> <laughs> Tell all your listeners out there. And then I always say this. Right now it says get the bat, but if you're heavy and you stretch it, it says gabagool. <laughs> Actually, somebody made me a scarf to put across my face and mailed it to me. Want to check this out? This yeah. is some really good shit. Watch this. One of the great things that's great about having fans, loyal fans, is to always be humble. I'm nice to everybody. You know, we all get stalkers once in a while. You got to figure that out. But this girl made this for me. Okay. Check that out. That's sick. That's awesome. Check that out, right? And then over here, it's got uh, Our Al Pacino. <laughs> That's awesome. So now I got this. Yeah, wrap it around. There you go. Stick them up. (laughs) No? That's why guys like Broncado I feel sorry for because sometimes you assume at a young age that it's always going to be like that. Yeah. Do you guys remember the movie The Toy? Not familiar. No. No. Had this little boy in it, and Jackie Gleason was in it, and also... um, Famous, famous comedian, black comedian from back in Richard Pryor. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was about this little boy who was spoiled. Uh, do you guys remember the movie A Christmas Story? Yeah. You remember the character who gets his tongue stuck to the pole? Yeah. Well, that actor's name is Scotty Schwartz, and he did a lot of major movies, that little kid. I used to see him on the bus every day because he was from New Jersey. Mm-hmm. We'd ride the bus to New York. He went to the School for Performing Arts. He was one of the top actors in New York at that age. Where do you see him now? I didn't even, that's crazy. I didn't, think about, I didn't even know him until you just said his yeah. name. Yeah. All I remember is him from the Christmas story. And I talk to him all the time. Wow. Because things changed. Now, I don't know if he got cocky or if he got into drugs, but he did go down some wrong roads. Mm-hmm. He used to hang around with Corey Haim, uh, Corey, um, the two Corys that were making all those movies, but they got strung out on drugs, and then the one kid died. Uh, a lot of those 80s actors that disappeared, that was his era. Mm-hmm. He'll tell you stories, make your head spin. Yeah, I'm sure. Lilo's stories were unbelievable. I mean, you would... But he, but he said it. He said it. Like you said, you think it's going to be there forever. And he said that other, some of the guys like Robert De Niro and all, they try to warn him. And it just, you know, you're not, you're not thinking about it. It's like in the moment, you're like, ah, yeah, sure, whatever. And then, you know, you get with the wrong people. You're doing the wrong things. And You would think Robert De Niro would have kept him on the straight and narrow. But I guess eventually it's not his kid, you know. He's got things to do as well. But who knows if he's even in touch with those guys. Because, you know, 
Robert De Niro, of course, still has an unbelievable career. You'd think he might have reached back to him and said, hey, let me help you out. I'll put you in this. But you never know what he did wrong. Like, what, why don't he call? So he, so he actually told us about Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro, um, I guess he was on the uh, – because Lilo was by where they filmed – where they were filming The Irishman in Queens. So the, the makeup director, the makeup guy, uh, was also the same makeup guy who did a Bronx Tale, I believe. And then he reached out to Lilo and he was like, hey, we're recording here. We're around. Stop by. I know like Rob would like to see you, blah, blah, blah. And he said, yeah, sure. And he went. He said it was the first time he saw Rob, uh, Robert De Niro since he got out of jail. And he checked on him. He said, he said a lot of these actors like Chas Palmieri and all these guys, they were bad-mouthing me. And it was like, he's like, you know, I'm going through something. You would think these guys who, who took me in at a young age would have reached out. He's like, no one really reached out. And, and he's like, but Robert De Niro came up to me and gave me like a sincere, like, how are you? If you need anything, let me know. Like, he's like are you doing okay? Are you doing okay? Are you doing okay? Yeah, he kept making sure he was all right. But I mean, he's like, and it, he, said, he kept saying it was a testament to how Robert De Niro is as a person, like through, through all these years, you know. So, why did he get arrested and go to jail? What did he do anyway? He was uh, with a, he was with some guy, another guy who was looking to score some dope, and uh, I guess he, according to him, he he knew the guy who lived there, but he was unaware that the guy that lived there passed away the guy they used to get their drugs from. So he went to climb through the window and then all of a sudden an undercover cop came outside and said, uh, freeze, put your hands up. So Lilo turned around and he said, before I could even say anything, uh, his other guy he was with came around and pulled out his gun. Lilo got shot three times. The other guy fired his gun. The other guy ended up killing the cop and Lilo was just walking down the street and then he went to jail for about eight years. He was in Rikers Island for about five. Holy shit. Yeah, it's crazy. crazy. That's gotta suck. Yeah, that's well, who shot Lilo? Yeah, it, huh? Who shot Lilo? The undercover cop. The cop that passed away. I guess. I guess. I, yeah, I don't. I'm not sure. It, it's it's in the episode we have. We're releasing it on Monday. He talks. He goes in detail about everything. But so, and somehow in the in the, in the crossfire, he got shot was two times, and then he got grazed by a third one. It's crazy. Well, that's going to be a great episode for you. Yeah. Because I'm interested and I want to watch that, so I'll wait to hear from that. Yeah. I know later on today I'm going to call my friends that were in a Bronx Tale. I'm friends with Peter Gordio, great actor. I'm friends with Willie DeMeo, who actually just did a TV series now called Graves End, mm-hmm. and uh, Joe D'Onofrio. Mm-hmm. And it's the funniest thing because all these actors, all these years later, uh, fans of mine, because of what I do as a stand-up comic... And now here I am working with them as an actor. And it's really, really cool. I have a scene with uh, Joe D'Onofrio in Silent Partners that's really, really cool. And uh, I'm pretty happy about all of that. If you guys want to talk to any of those characters, I'm sure I can lead you into that as well. That'd be great. I've worked with Vinny Pastore a lot. So he's, he's another guy we tried to reach out to. I, I'm, I tried. I couldn't get in contact with him. But we, we actually get Steve Sharipa from uh, Soprano. Whoa. Yeah. Right? Booking him next week, but yeah, I would love. I mean, I'm all into that Italian like monster shit. I'm I'm all about it. <laughs> I got a picture right there. It's got Don Corleone. It's got uh, Tony Soprano. Robert. It's got all the guys up there. So I'm I'm all about that. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Steve Sharippa used to be the talent coordinator of a comedy club called the Riviera, which was a casino in Las Vegas that no longer exists. They imploded it, and that's how I met him because he used to book me. Then I did one or two shows with him. I met Vinny Pastore on the set of a movie called Pizza and Bullets, 
which I got to do a scene with Vinnie Pastore, Talia Shire from Godfather, and of course, Rocky, and me. I play a priest, and it's really, really funny, and I'm hoping they're going to regenerate that movie um, and put it back out. But then we ended up doing shows together because Vinnie Pastore sings. So we ended up becoming friends, and uh, we did the Jersey City Lows. And in the Jersey City Lows, it's 3,000 seats. He's talking about a theater that's been condemned for God knows how long. Still has the organ that comes out of the floor with a creepy guy playing it. My father used to be a doorman there when he was a kid. And I'm hoping we get to do that again. A lot of different film festivals that I get to host, I met all these cats. And, uh, you know, I get to tour with crazy people, man. Dean Martin's daughter, Dina. Um, she sings. Louis Prima Jr., Robert Davi, who's been in a ton of movies. He's a good friend of mine now. Um, I even got a testimonial from uh, a lot of big names. I can't think of this one guy off the top of my head, but uh, I was roasting him at a roast here in Hollywood, and he just said, he goes, you are just out of control. And I go, oh, no, I'm from New Jersey. We don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> do, do those get like personal? Um, you know what, if you, I'm always the type of person that doesn't make fun of people like you see on the roasts on comedy central, quite honestly, that's bullshit. You shouldn't make fun of anybody that nasty. That's nasty. I want to be part of the Dean Martin roast when they made fun of each other, but you could tell they actually loved each other and they admired each other. Um, so, you know, you can only do it to a certain extent. I'd be the perfect host for the Oscars. I'd know exactly how to dance around all that bullshit. <laughs> You're going to start that campaign now, too. We yeah. start it right here, right now. Well, May, I'm going to try everything. I'm not going to run for president. I'm going to keep doing my web series. I got a lot of new stuff about how I would take care of the coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> right? I can't wait to do a news conference. Like, Mr. President, you took care of the coronavirus. Can you tell us what you did? I'm like, don't worry about it. <laughs> you just go enjoy the antivirus. <laughs> that's awesome. So I think that's funny. Who is uh who is the who is like the biggest name that you got to meet or work with like throughout your career? Um well when I first came to California, I, I was meeting people, but I can't say I actually became friends with them. I think when I first met Andrew Dice Clay, I was pretty starstruck. Mm-hmm. It was in the 90s, and he was bigger than life. Yeah. We used to sit in his car and talk. He called me the Golden Guido. He helped me really a lot. We're still friends to this day. I hope he's doing great. Yeah. Um, then you meet other stars. Uh, I remember I met Gary Busey, and I was a big fan of Gary Busey. And... Um, He's a little whacked out. So by the end of the meeting, you're like, wow, this guy's nuts. Yeah. And, you know, there's some stars that you get disappointed. And then there's some stars that they're on the same level as you. They're just human beings. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they all are at the end of the day. That's something that goes we, on any platform. But, yeah, I agree. When we perform on a Friday or Saturday night at the Laugh Factory in Hollywood, you will meet famous, famous comedians. Mm-hmm. But. We're all created equal when you get on that stage and you got to bring your A game. So no matter who you are, because the famous people figure, well, I really don't need to be funny anymore. I'm famous. Oh yes, you do. Yeah. So 
I mean, you name it, anywhere from Dane Cook, Chris Rock. I've been on stage with everybody. Everybody has a heyday. Everybody has a day away from the hay. Some people become stars, stay stars. Some I'm the comedian that went on stage after Michael Richards had his meltdown dropping the N-bomb. Wow, really? And wow. he never worked again. How'd you follow that up? Because I was at the club. It was a set, it was a Friday night. And I was supposed to go last in the third show. Uh-huh. He was last in the second show. So when he started doing what he was doing to the people who really were just having fun, they really weren't heckling him. It was the one kid's birthday. He said, it's my birthday. I'm 21. All he really had to do was say happy birthday. And that would have been it. Yeah. But he had to say what he was saying and he wouldn't stop. He got really, really nasty. So I was standing in the back of the room. It was me, Sinbad, and two other comedians that I admire. But I wasn't next. What had happened was the owner came over and he says, Marino, come on, get up there now. You clean this up. <laughs> and I go, why me? And he goes, come on, you, you know what to do. Come on, clean that up. So when the guy threw the microphone on the ground and he said, fuck everybody, and he walked out, Mike Richards or whatever his name is, not Mike Richards, uh, Kramer. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. When Kramer left the stage, the host went back on and said, and now Mike Marino. And I'm like, it's not even my turn. (laughs) So I went on stage and I went like this. I go, you know, you people in California really make me laugh, especially you black people. If it talk like that where I'm from in New Jersey, they'd have stared at him six times before he got off the stage. What are you waiting for? He's standing over there. <laughs> and the place was screaming, screaming, screaming. And then I went like this. It's a good thing he didn't say nothing about the Italians. <laughs> and that was it. That's great. Then I just went into my show. Yeah, that's awesome. Two days later, that's when it hit the news. Wow. And I was in. I love how, I love, I love, I mean, obviously, like you play on the Italian one. And I love that you, like, are so prideful of New Jersey, too. It's awesome. I mean, it's, it's just being from New Jersey, it's great. I mean, I Jersey, know. wrong, man. Yeah, I love it. We, we developed a show that I'm hoping, hoping, hoping we could do. And um, I have two titles of the show. The working title is Reconstructing Jersey. Mm, I saw that. Which would be like watching modern family Jersey style. <laughs> That's awesome. About an Italian family just growing up, trying to make ends meet, kids in school, and me being like, let's say, uh, a modern day Archie Bunker. Yeah. And I, or, the, or we're going to call it Jersey Transit. But I wrote it when Sandy hit, and it was all about what we should do mm-hmm. to save our own lives. So now would be a good time to do it. Yeah. I'm really hoping that's going to happen. Awesome. I was supposed to shoot a special uh, at a theater in New Jersey, but that got put on hold. So I'm hoping I get to do it um, in September or October. I'd rather shoot in New Jersey than shoot here. Yeah. How often are you usually touring? Like when you're when when this is not going on, like how often are you usually traveling for shows? Um, I do four shows a week somewhere around the world. I'm always on stage. So from the biggest theaters to something small, like going out into Hollywood and just practicing some jokes, I need to be on stage. That's my drug. Mm -hmm. And I want to be. That's what I do for a living. You know, going to the Laugh Factory in Hollywood on a Saturday night, your name's flashing in lights. I mean, come on. 
yeah. fucking come on. <laughs> you know, you call up, put this guy on the guest list. Hey, how you doing? The owner kissing you, loving you, hanging out with you, all your friends. You know, it's badass. It is fucking badass. Comedians from around the world begging to play this one place. You know, you see Joe Diaz, Joe Rogan, name them. They're all there. You know, the big cats. Um, And then the small names that you might not have heard, but they're on on fire. Funny. It's a high, like you have no idea. And then you go out on the road and you do Utah and you do Florida and you do Kansas City. And then you come back and you tape a TV show. You know, it's it's a high. The last show I did. And this is what cracks me up about this business, because there is agents and managers and producers that will tell you something like you're only good for a certain area. You're Italian. You do that stuff about being in Jersey. You're only good for New Jersey. Bullshit. You want to know where my last show was? Uh, Leavenworth, Kansas, (laughs) at a private event for 200 black people. Wow. 200 black people. And when the guy asked me, and I asked the guy, what do you want me for? And the lady said, we saw you in Vegas. My mother's turning 80 and she just loves you. We all love you. Can you come and do the show? And the price tag for a private show is fantastic for me. So yes, I'm going. (laughs) And I got there and there's 200 black people. I'm the only white guy in the room. And she goes on stage and says, and now my mother's favorite comedian. I know you're all wondering who the white boy is in the back. (laughs) And I'm like, wow, did she just say that? Okay. (laughs) So she introduces me. I got on stage and I said, I'm a little offended that she called me the white guy. I told her flat out I'm Italian. And they just started screaming. (laughs) And then you just do your show. Yeah. Nothing's offensive here. Yeah. Yeah. And they had a great time. And that's the fan base that I just grew because then they're going to go on YouTube and they're going to watch what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you have any like onstage bombing stories or any heckler uh, stories? That's my next question. Is, and have you ever, like, has there ever been a time where you really bombed the show? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> oh, um, you bomb a lot in the beginning, of course, and you go into open mics and everybody in the room's got a pad and a pen and they're waiting to go on stage. So nobody's listening to you anyway. You could say the funniest thing when nobody's going to laugh at you. However, it's like going to the gym. How could you become a bodybuilder if you don't go to the gym? One day your arms don't look so great. Two months later, your arms look fantastic because you went to the gym. So that's really what an open mic is. You go to the gym and you go and you go and you go and you bomb and you bomb and you keep on bombing. And then all of a sudden, one night, everything that bombed hits and you're like, wow, it worked. And then you go back out and those things work, 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 work. Then you come up with something new and you add and you add and you grow, you get rid of, you come back, you take it, you pull it, you have fun. So basically bombing is the joy. You should want to bomb. Now, not bomb in front of a thousand people when you're putting on a concert. Well, that would suck. That's never really happened to me. And hecklers are usually one a night, usually a female who drank too much, quite honestly. But we're so prepared for it that I dare anybody to fuck with me. I will verbally assault you like you've never seen in your life because I know what's on your mind. 
I know exactly what's on your mind. I know what you're thinking. I know how much you paid. I know what's going to bury you. I'll even bury your friends. You don't want to fuck with a skilled comedian. Trust me. That is great. <laughs> that is awesome. there, can you think of like the worst heckler you've had in your career? I can't remember so many because there's always somebody and they challenge you and they won't shut up. But then there's a heckler who actually is just having fun and they don't want you to be mean to them. They just feel good about it. I actually remember once Andrew Dice Clay said to me, he goes, people heckle me because they want to go home and tell their friends I got to have a conversation with Andrew Dice Clay. And I'm like, wow, I never even thought of it that way. So they're actually trying to not razz you and kill you, but to be part of it so that they can go talk about it. Yeah. Now, if you're in a comedy club, we could see each other. But if you're in a theater and there's 2,000 people, I can't see. Mm-hmm. So if anybody says anything, it's hard for me to react. I can't see and I can't really hear. Mm-hmm. So you really just stay on your monologue. But I'll give you a for instance. I used to do a routine that I first started about the third girl. Back in the 80s, we called it a whammy chick. These days, you would call her a cock block. But we used to call it a whammy chick. That was the girl that ruined everybody's evening by saying, we got to go, or this is my favorite song, I got to pee, you know, something stupid. Mm -hmm. I used to do stuff like that about the whammy chick. But one night I was at a club, and there were three girls in the front row. And the one girl wouldn't stop talking. So finally, I said, sweetheart, listen, I got two shows. One's about me, and everybody has a lot of fun. Second one's about you, and everybody has a lot more fun, but the three of you go home crying. What show do you want? And she goes, do the one where we go home crying. I go, okay. You're the good-looking girl, so you turn down a lot of cock. You're the funny girl, so you suck a lot of cock. And you're the fat chick that never saw cock. And they went, (laughs) and they started crying. Because I didn't stop. I just kept assaulting them. Yeah. But the truth is always funny. Yeah, yeah. I gave you the opportunity to shut up. Yeah. Gave you the opportunity. And then I told the truth. (laughs) And they didn't like it. Yeah. I mean, at that point, it's on her. She should have just shut her mouth at that point. Yes. And the audience was screaming. And the one girl goes, (laughs) I go, but I told you. Now go watch Dr. Phil. That's awesome. That's incredible. You were prepared for that one. I've had guys wait for me after a show. Really? Oh, yeah. Wow. And I, I said to this one guy after a show, he goes, I can't believe you said what you said. Because the girl, his wife, she wanted me to autograph her tits. And I says, no, I don't do that. She goes, oh, no, come on. No, I says, no, I don't do that. So finally, she annoyed me so much, I autographed the tit. And then the guy comes back in and goes, the fuck's your problem, man? Why'd you do that? And I go, let me ask you a question. Do you think I put your wife against the wall and said, this is something I have to do? <laughs> I mean, seriously, is that what you think? And I says, you're bigger than me and you're really, really drunk. So I'm going to give you a choice. Unclench your hands. Let your hands out. Oh, open your hands. And finally, he started to open his hands. And I go, now your problem's not with me. Your problem's with your wife. Now go punch her in the face, not me. <laughs> And he was a cop. Oh, my God. He had a fundraiser for police officers. Like, he had to come at me. <laughs> that is unreal. That is unreal. You probably have some more. I mean, Andrew Dice Clay was nuts, Like, right? I mean, was he like that offstage, too? No, actually, Dice is a very intelligent guy. 
He has one of the most unbelievable careers, I would say, in the acting world and in stand-up. He's been in a lot of movies. The one of the first comedians ever to sell out Madison Square Garden long before the word social media. Now, how do you do that in the 70s? He had the band. He did the impersonations. He was always on television. He's an innovator. And he is a pretty nice guy. Uh, I don't know him extremely well, but uh, he was always nice to me. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So, so what is like your preparation process? You said you write your jokes. You know, if you get on stage and you know what you wrote down is not working, you just pops in your head that you just switch it up. And how do you control the audience? Yeah, you got to be prepared for anything. You know, in a comedy club on a Tuesday night, there's not a lot of people. You go up there and rehearse a couple new jokes. Yeah. If they don't go over, you can go to your A game and put up something that will kill. Saturday night, the place is on fire. The guy in front of you kills. You got to bring your A game too. Um, but then there's some nights people just yell and scream at you because they can't believe you're there, which is, oh, it's the best fucking drug, man. Yeah. I can't wait till we get back to performing. Now, I go up at the Laugh Factory on a Saturday night, 10 o'clock at night. There's 300 people jammed in there like sardines. As soon as they see you, like, oh, my God, that's that guy. That's that guy. They don't even know your fucking name. And you're up there, and you're like, hey, everybody, how you doing? I'm like, oh, I love him. I love him. You didn't even say anything yet. That's just the greatest. Um, I think it was two years ago. It was the first time I did the Count Basie in Red Bank. And I always wanted to play there, and I knew where it was. I couldn't get in, but when I finally got in, and we did the, uh, I got the number that year. I have fourteen hundred tickets, and Danny Aiello was there. A couple movie stars were there. They all coming to see me, and uh, there were people backstage who were uh, city officials. I don't know, maybe the governor, not the governor. Uh, I don't know, whatever they are, city officials, state officials. They want to come back there and meet everybody. And they started talking a little too much. And it was like 10 minutes to eight. And all of a sudden I'm like, all right, everybody need to clear the green room. Everybody needs to clear the green room. And this lady goes, uh, didn't I tell you my husband is a senator or something like this? He's a senator. And I go like this. I don't give a fuck. I'm about to walk out on stage in front of 1,400 people. You think I got nothing on my mind? Get out of here. And the stage manager goes, do push-ups, do push-ups. I started doing push-ups. <laughs> so when I walked out on stage, out of nowhere, I was so fucking pissed off that these people were there. So when the guy introduces me, which is Bill Spadia from 101.5, yeah. uh, John Bramnick, uh, who's a state assemblyman, uh-huh. and then I go on stage I walked out on stage and I go, I am so happy to be here. I just want to let you know I parked my fucking car in Asbury Park and the place just started cheering because there's no parking anywhere. Red Red Bank's terrible for that. That's awesome. And everybody started cheering. I go, yeah, I drove to the theater. I couldn't find parking. So I drove down to Asbury, parked my car and took an Uber just to fucking come here. And they're like, I love him. I love him. That's That's great. Sounds like you, you never get intimidated from a crowd, which is awesome. Nah. Love your job. No. Who knows what's going to happen when we all come back around, but no. And then, yeah, next time you're over here in Jersey, I definitely want to go. Because, I mean, like I said, I've seen you on Instagram. I've seen you on social media for a few years now, but definitely got to check it out uh, live when this all passes over. We'll go to my YouTube channel, link up, and we'll stay in touch. And uh, if you want me to call Vinny Pastore and see if he wants to come down to your show, 
I'm also friends with Gary Pastore, their cousins, and Gary's been in a lot of movies as well. Yeah. And uh, he's in the TV series that we did, uh, Silent Partners, which if this hits, it's going to be a, I would say it'd be the new Sopranos. Right. I'm looking forward to it, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to the day you're, uh, you're selling out Madison Square Garden, too, because I'll definitely be there for that one. So, oh, yeah. but, you guys come backstage. We'll do a, we'll do a live feed, you know? Hey, that's Let's do it, man. I'm holding you to that. So when it happens, I'll pay some underwear. <laughs> but uh, all right, man. Listen, it's been uh, it's been great. I really appreciate you having on. And, you know, maybe in a couple months when this blows over, next time you're in Jersey, we can do one in person somewhere. So You got it. Looking Whatever. forward to it. Good luck with everything. Stay safe, all right? Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Stay safe. Thank you. Take care. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube